0: What's up, guys? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. There are uh, a couple of things I want to knock out before we get to today's episode. Um, condolences to former Browns running back coach, Gary Brown. He passed away from a long fight with colon cancer. He was with Cleveland from 09 to 12, and uh, the running backs coach with the likes of Jerome Harrison, Jamal Lewis, Peyton Hillis, Trent Richardson, all there during his tenure. Uh, Went on to Dallas from 13 to 2019 as their running back back coach, and then with Wisconsin in 21, but he was only 52 and uh, really tough, uh, really tough to see a guy that young die. He did play eight seasons in the league uh, with Houston, uh, the Oilers back then, the San Diego Chargers and the Giants, Uh, but he'd been battling that uh, colon cancer situation for a significant amount of time, so the pain is gone for Gary now, and all positive vibes we can give to his family uh, in a in a very difficult time other things that we noticed today uh, not many i mean not many things are happening we did hear about a top 30 visit uh, again this is weird where we have to almost pay attention to instagram among many other things and social media accounts to see where people are going or where prospects show up arizona state running back rashad white had a top 30 visit with cleveland and again What I think is going on here is that there are a lot of guys Cleveland likes to bring in as top 30 visits who are undrafted free agents to let them get in the building, let them see things, uh, get comfortable with Cleveland, get comfortable with the coaching staff. And, like, Cleveland doesn't really want to tip their hand about where they're going with a lot of guys. So what they like to do, and a perfect example is Chase Lucas, the cornerback out of Arizona State, who played in the Shrine game which was a huge focus of the first building the Browns episode. If you watched how Jeff, Bra- uh, sorry, Jeff Howard, the uh, past game coordinator, defensive backs coach, getting a chance in that East West Shrine bowl to call defense as a defensive coordinator really formed a connection with chase. This is where you see the Browns take advantage of undrafted free agent guys, having a priority and remembering their time in Cleveland as a means to, you know, have a chance to get a leg up on competition. The guy would pick Cleveland in that regard. So uh, other things from behind the scenes, too, there. You get a you get a look at Ashton Grant, the Browns' offensive quality control coach with a really cool thing, kind of a kind of little session there at the Pro Bowl Skills Showdown. And then Callie Brownson, the uh, chief of staff, also talks about what their coaches and the coaching staff completes in the first part of the offseason. So really, really interesting stuff. And I and I think what was cool, too, was Kevin Stefanski talking about how his first opportunity to really call plays came in the Shrine Bowl and his opportunity, I think it was 2016, he got the opportunity to uh, to do that. So sort of if your coaches get tasked with coaching that game, you can level up a guy like Jeff Howard, a defensive backs coach, to let him get comfortable with what it might look like to become a defensive coordinator. So that was a really nice Uh, Peel back behind the curtain. But I really did also want to reiterate that those draft visits that happen, you're not seeing a bunch of big names. Now, Traylon Burks was not able to make it to Cleveland. I think they're going to do something virtual. They'll bring in some big names, but not a ton of big names all the time because what they want to do is get a leg up on those free agent guys. If you get drafted by Cleveland, you got no choice. You're coming to Cleveland. But otherwise, those undrafted free agent guys, it's an interesting thing to get a leg up on those guys, get them in the building, expose them to the to the uh, Berea set up all of that, and see if you can get a guy to pick Cleveland when it comes down to maybe even money after the draft concludes and you're calling agents making offers. Other interesting articles out there, Nick Harris uh, talked on the Cleveland Browns website about his opportunity, what he's ready to do, how he's ready to handle it, really good insight, and and he spent some time on Cleveland Browns Daily as well with Nathan Zagura, who we should have on the show later this week talking about how excited he is to get going. And you should you should read that. I'm a big believer in Nick Harrison. Pumped for his opportunity to get a real uh, shot to start this year. So otherwise, things that I thought were noteworthy was, was Joe Thomas today uh, saying essentially that his dream job would be to take over Doug Deacon's color analyst job. No, he's not the color, he's the, I don't know, hold on. Donovan's a play-by-play guy. So uh, that would make the color analyst job, Joe Thomas, as he said, he wants to do it. It would be a dream job to do it, but um, is not able to do it right now because of his, his young children. And the weekends, you got 20 straight weekends of covering football uh, as the as the color analyst in the stadium or traveling to opposing stadiums. And there would just be a lot for him with his young children. But someday that'd be really cool to have Joe Thomas take over for Doug Deacon's job. Uh, and be the color analyst of the Cleveland Browns alongside Jim Donovan. If Jim's still doing it at that point, that'd be really neat. So wanted to point that out because I hadn't heard about it until today, uh, just now. And then, yeah, that's about it. Otherwise, the only other thing that came out noteworthy was Deshaun Watson will not be, and some of you may know this, some of you may not, will not be having any trials during the actual season. So once the 2022 season gets here, all of that will stop if it's still going. Who knows what could happen in the next three, four months, as far as the settlement goes or anything of that nature. Uh, otherwise, he will... Um, not be having any sort of uh, trial situation happening in season. That's a part of, I guess, an agreement between the uh, council of, of Watson and the opposition of uh, Busby's, uh, the, the folks who are the, the women who are on the other side of the claim. So, that is interesting news to me and I wanted to share it with you that's that's one of the few new things that have come out with the Watson situation among some others that we might get into if it becomes something serious down the line we'll keep our eye on that Um, otherwise the thing that was on the website today we had uh, the Newswire then we had uh, a great article from Corey Kennan on OBR draft Cleveland Browns day three edge targets in the 2022 NFL draft what he did was look at Old, you know, targets who are not older, so typically as the, as the late round guys hit, you get uh, you get older prospects and, and you know, it's just the, the lay of the land here is that you want younger prospects and younger talented prospects go earlier in the draft so what Corey wanted to do was look at some day, late day two day three prospects who still fit the age guard rail if the Browns wanted to stay young at some of those positions led by Tyreek Smith of Ohio State go check out that article, some informative things there as far as uh, options that are going to be available late. Twenty for twenty continued. Twenty prospects in twenty days with interior D lineman and edge. Logan Hall from Houston. I am a big believer in Logan Hall. Uh, have been from the jump of this draft cycle. Really like his inside-out flexibility. At twenty-two years old, he just turned twenty-two years old. Um, he's actually he's, he's going to turn twenty-two years old. I should note that these ages, Dane does, are at the at the point of the draft. So he'll turn 22 on the 22nd of this month, just ahead of the draft, starting on the 28th. He's 6'6", 283, probably checks in a little more like he did some points in the season, 270, 275. So it's a little dicey whether he's an inside guy all the time. Or some people think because of the long limbs, the leverage he has, he could be an edge player, which I'm also excited about that flexibility. First-team All-AAC player in 21. I think his pick range is likely 44. He's unlikely to be there at pick 78. He is a three-tech, kind of sometimes four-eye, which is the inside eye of the offensive tackle in the scheme Uh, some teams use, whether it's an odd front or an even front. But what's interesting about him is he's a worker, man. He was only a three-star recruit, Hovering at about 230 pounds when he got to Houston. Did not have a ton of big time offers coming from a military family, traveled a lot before he finally settled down in Belton, Texas. He, uh, he did not go into to, to college as a big time body, uh, big time uh, recruiting background, but he developed himself. He put on weight, he put on muscle, and became a heck of a football player. When all is said and all of a sudden, done here. He has a RAS score of 9.81. The height helps him, but the 40 yard dash at 4.88. Uh the 10-yard split at 167, all of those are elite marks. The the explosion stuff, he did not do the broad, but the vertical at 30 inches, not terrible, not even remotely terrible. It was really okay, okay to good. But you love too the shuttle, which is a 444 shuttle, and then the three cone, which is a seven two five. Both of those marks are elite. 98th percentile height for the interior D line position. And again, why some people consider him an interesting idea to move outside because he's only a fifth percentile weight uh player there. He is a 92nd percentile runner, a 90th percentile three-cone, an 85th percentile um, a guy there too. Uh, he doesn't really mesh really well with many inside guys. I think Henry Anderson, a defensive tackle of Stanford in 2015 who played with the Jets, is a really great comparison. Um, DeMarvin Leal from this class is a 75% comparison. Leal, also a similar player who's an inside guy that some people think can play edge in the NFL because he played a lot of outside snaps and his Texas A&M profile, but maybe he looks more like a D tackle. They played him more D tackle this year. And then another name Browns fans probably remember, which is Anthony Zettel in 2016, but none of those are above a 78.3% match. So he's a unique, a unique, unique guy in this regard. Uh, it's is is not a ton of comparisons for him. He had six sacks in 21. He had 12 hurries, 13 hits, 25 total pressures, 13 and a half tackles for loss. He has a fantastic swim move, very quick. Here's what Sports Info uh, Solutions says about them in their draft guide. Logan Hall is a versatile defensive lineman in Houston's hybrid front defense. Lines up with his hand in the dirt most often at a three-tech, but does see snaps across all spots of the defensive line. He had an arthroscopic elbow surgery, you see him wearing a big brace, that forced him out of the bowl game during his final season. Hall is more of a quicker. He's more quick than fast as he shows his quickness best when moving east to west. He has a big, strong frame with good athletic ability. He also has a motor that always runs hot and competes with toughness on every snap. He projects best as a one-gapping three-tech at the next level in a 4 3 scheme so that could be a fit obviously for what cleveland is wanting he has the length and strength to also fit as a five tech in a three four defense or that four eye but will be a better run defender than pass rusher off the edge again enticing for cleveland a little bit as a strong side edge he can also reduce down over the center and passing downs he bullies guards and centers so he won't have any problem there he shows flashes as a pass rusher but will uh, will be a strong run defender early in his career they have him as the number 63 overall prospect number three at that defensive tackle position So that's a high mark. Dane Bruegler gets even more. uh, I I think he has him. Yeah, he truly has him as an edge. He does not even put him with the D tackles. He puts him at edge. So he has a number 37 overall prospect. And as we know, this edge class is top heavy. He has him as the number seven edge. Here's what Dane says. A two-year starter at Houston Hall, played primarily at three tech and defensive coordinator, Doug Belk's multiple fronts, also lining up at a five, nose, and as an edge rusher arriving in Houston. Spindly, 220-pound project, he showed significant physical and mental maturation the, for the past four seasons and took a significant jump between his junior and senior seasons. Head coach Dana Holgerson said, He's one of the best defensive tackles I've ever coached. Although he played, he played primarily inside in college, Hull has the long levers, foot quickness to be an impactful rusher when uh, he's given the runway off the edge. He also has the body flexibility to bend, dip, and attack from different angles but must continue to develop his anchor, shed strength, and especially when his pad level rises. This is the, a popular critique of Logan Hall is his pad level off the snap is too high. He's got to play lower. I think you can coach guys to play lower. I think Hall likes to get up and use his speed. He gets too trustworthy of his speed. And what that happens is he stands up off the snap a little too quickly and tries to do some of those swim moves. He needs to develop a couple more moves, play with the lower pad level, anchor his run fit, and rush from that run fit as well. So overall, Hall says he has some tweener traits and lacks consistency, but with additional coaching, he can be a matchup weapon thanks to the athletic versatility, body length, and disruptive nature. Projects as an NFL starting edge who can slip inside and sub packages. Again, I'm looking to try to recreate Jadevian G- Clowney because we all saw the success Clowney had in Cleveland, opposite Miles Garrett, inside out flexibility, not a great pass rusher, but an effort pass rusher And Clowney who doesn't have a ton of bend. I think Logan Hall can be a similar type of player in this defense. Go check out the 20 for 20 prospect 17 as we're 17 days out. Uh, we have some film clips of him. You can see that speed I'm talking about and see a little bit of the pass rush pad level as well. Okay. So that is everything pretty much on the website and all of the intro to any late recent Cleveland news. I'll be right back, get a word from our sponsor. And then we're going to close with a new technique, not a technique, just a new concept I have as we get closer to the draft and wanting to cover more of the draft. So I'm pumped about it. Be right back.
1: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed.
0: OK, so what we're going to do, guys, as we as we look at things, I think I think there's an interesting thing that was thrown to me by Russell on Twitter. He said, you know, a, a fun thing to do would be to go back and look at previous scouting reports and see where guys hit and where guys did not hit. I think that's fun. The problem is I want to go back to 2017 because there are still impactful players from 2017 either around the Browns or were a part of big trades either that day or in the future So I want to go back and look at some of these things. If you recall, uh, go back a couple months ago, I think to to late January, and you will hear me and Matt Waldman have a conversation about revisiting Baker Mayfield's film room, uh, not film room, his scouting report. Sorry about that. So we revisited the scouting report, looked at strengths and weaknesses. Did he improve the strengths, keep getting better at them? Did he improve the weaknesses? Did he find a way to get those better? We broke it down. So that's what I'm going to do here for the top three rounds of 17. I don't have a draft guide because back in 2017, it was not as popular to have draft guides out. So we're using Lance Zerline's ESPN uh, grading chart or not ESPN. Apologies again, his NFL network grading uh, system that he puts together every year. So we'll start with Miles Garrett. We'll talk about uh, some of the things that were said about him at the time. He was a 7.5 prospect grade. So for, Lance, a 7.5 is the top end of the perennial Pro Bowl uh, number. So 7.3 to 7.5 is perennial Pro Bowler. 8.0 is the perfect prospect. So he gave Miles a 7.5. Miles vertical jump was 41, 128 broad, a 33 bench press, a 4.6, 4.40. He was an athletic freak. The strengths. Let's go through these. It chiseled physique with functional strength, not just beach muscles. That remains true and is probably even more true today. Bigger than people think. Also true. If you've not seen Miles uh, Garrett up in person, up close, you will question if you are from the same planet, uh, species, all of that it's a freak of nature. Uber athlete with spring-loaded hips and elite explosiveness. We've seen that as he uses the bull rush, the long arm stuff. He says powerful legs allow him to fight through redirect blocks and corner the edge at a sharp angle. One of the best for his size at dipping and turning the corner, man, and staying low and running the arc—that remains a strength that he has gotten even better at. Dominant pass rush ability and production in college, yes. Remarkable burst off the snap, 100% to his detriment sometimes as he gets a little bit of a head start. His first three steps can throw an offense into disarray. Fact—they develop—they develop game plans around him. When he times the snap, tackles have almost no chance of catching him at the edge. Fact: wicked whirling dervish inside spin move. That's reminiscent of Dwight Freeney's. He does not use that inside spin move enough. He uses it some. Would love to see him use it more. Charges, coils, and springs into the tackles to help facilitate a quality bull rush. Absolutely. Game-wrecking potential. Absolutely. Has game experience against the likes of Lyle Collins, Sean Coleman, Cam Robinson, Laramie Tunzel. Some old names there. Some good, some bad. Can play with a hand in the ground or standing. Fact. Able to spin in either direction out of a block engagement. Still a fact. Lightning-fast inside charge extremely disruptive against the run agreed gobbles up grass with long strides in open field pursuit. There is a popular clip of him chasing down Deshaun Watson in the open field in 2020 where Watson couldn't believe he caught up to him. It's kind of funny to go back and look at that. Now plus acceleration to the runner greed quick twitch creates ability to bound suddenly into running backs looking to change, uh, to charge past the line of scrimmage. Yes, he's catches people off He's created fumbles that way from running backs who don't see him laterally. Outstanding rate as a tackle finisher with running backs and quarterbacks rarely escaping his clutches. Agreed. If he gets his hand on you, he's likely to bring you down and looks to maintain run fits rather than play hero ball. I think that's a fact. Sometimes he gets away from that. The, the hero ball thing can be there with Miles every now and again. He has the ability to play both sides of the line of scrimmage, and they do that with him. Now, weaknesses, not as many, relies heavily on tremendous athleticism and explosion, as he should. I don't really view that as a weakness. Still learning how to string moves together and work with a pass rush plan. He has gotten better at that. He started to string together Eurostep to Club Rip to, to inside fake spin to back outside, running the arc to uh to, to speed to power, bull rush. He's he's figured that out. At times will take too long to activate counter moves when initial attack is stalled. I think that's still true. If he wants to unlock another level, he has to feel when he's beaten counter a little quicker. Effort level appears to closely tied to fatigue level at times. I think that's true, but I don't think that's a huge knock As I think a guy who plays as hard as Miles does, it's going to happen. As a pass rusher uses hands reactively too often rather than proactively, I think he's gotten better with the hands. Gets too cozy with blockers and will ride a block for too long. I, I uh, meh, no, don't don't think that's a problem anymore. Needs more urgency and disengagement, in the run game, I would agree, would benefit from violent stick-and-move punch quickness into blockers. Yeah, and I think he's figured that out. Has time to work overtime to uh, has to work overtime to set a strong edge. He is not a great edge setter. He's he's fine. He's good. He's not elite at that phase of the game. Gets uprooted and widened out by too many quality run blocking tackles. I would agree with that. That is something he could benefit his defense more with getting better at closing down some uh, either. Uh, tackle pulls or guard pulls that are kicking him out never played more than 70 percent of defensive snaps in any three seasons at a&m he has been very durable in his time in cleveland has proven that wrong and scouts are convinced he took plays off to protect his health this season listen I, i didn't see that back then i don't see it now his comparison is julius peppers and um i think lance did really well with this scouting report and I think Miles has gotten better than we even expected, and I think he's continuing on the path he's on. He is a Hall of Fame path, as we sit here today. So that's Miles. Jabril Peppers, okay, he was a six-seven-zero grade. All righty, six-seven-zero puts him squarely in a year-one starter grade for Zerline. The comparisons to Charles Woodson are nuts. Both are really good return men, but Woody is one of the greatest playmakers of all time. Peppers has one interception. Again, that one interception against Ohio State, and I don't think he's ever forced to fumble. Michigan might move him around too much. He will really improve when he can lock in and learn a position. That's an AFC director of scouting. The overview from Zerline, the ultimate Swiss Army knife on the collegiate level and will likely play a hybrid role at the next level that allows him to blitz, cover, and chase. Pepper's draft value will be helped by his return ability, and that is a role he should maintain through the early stages of his career. Never did manifest like you'd hoped. Peppers doesn't have the production teams expect from a first-round defender. He should benefit from a role that is more clearly defined on the next level. They gave him an Eric Weddle comparison. The numbers were good, a 4 4 6, 40 and 19-bench press, 35-5 uh, vertical jump, and a 128 broad. The strengths, athletic and fluid in space with desired change of direction talent. Yep. Moves with changing flow of uh, play. Agreed. Uh, willing to sacrifice body to honor, contain against the run. I would agree. He's a jack-of-all-trades. I think that got a little blown out of proportion. He could not really cover from the slot because that's what Zerline said. He can play the slot, safety or linebacker. He was really just a safety. I don't think those things ever manifested. He won't hesitate to race downhill once he diagnoses run. I would agree with that, just too chaotic at times. Has a big closing burst, agree with that. Runs plays down from sideline to sideline. You could definitely see that he played with speed. He's able to knife into gaps and make tackles for loss or disrupt runs. I agree with that. He has man-cover talent and is physical enough to handle most tight ends. Somewhat didn't think that that was as good as people thought. He has enough quickness to match receivers. He did not match receiving routes very well. Aggressively reroutes receivers. Um, nah, not, not not as well as I think we all hoped. Electric return man with the ability to charge up crowd in his own sideline with a big punt or kick return. That never came to fruition. He's experienced carrying and catching the ball as a Wildcat quarterback. Obviously, those things never never happened either. Scout's question is instincts and lack of ball production. Those things carried into the NFL. The instincts were not as good as we hoped. He had just one interception and 10 passes defended at Michigan. I do not think in his Cleveland days, he did force some fumbles Um, in New York, but he did not do that in Cleveland. He ended up with... Let me see here. He ended up with two interceptions in his two Cleveland years and eight passes defended. So he was not crazy production around the football. Slow to recognize the construction of play and can be found playing through a straw at times. Listen, they stuck him deep down the field in in Greg Williams' scheme and said, just be our center fielder, right? And, And I don't know that that helped his young development because this is a thing that I think held true. He needs better recognition and anticipation to become an improvising playmaker. Never felt like that came to fruition for him. He's just a guy when he's asked to play deep safety. I think that's pretty true, and unfortunately, that's how he was used in Cleveland. Slow to read and range until the ball is in the air. Also agree, can be zealous, overzealous against play action and drawn below his deep ball responsibilities. I thought he was fine with deep ball responsibilities here. Too small for linebacker duties like like we see Ronnie Harrison play dimebacker would agree with that. Leads into tackles with ducked head, agreed with that, that uh, often caused him to miss. And he opts to rather hit than wrap up. So I think that's pretty fair. I think it's pretty fair. He was a year one starter, fine player, was a big part of the Odell trade, pick 25. I think you can see where you, the things that you were most concerned about, ball production, playing him at deep safety, it never materialized. So that's Peppers. Now you get... David Njoku, who was picked 29 in that draft, a 6.80 prospect grade, so a little better than Peppers from Zerline, a year one starter. He says about David, NFL teams looking for athletic tight ends should uh, book their ticket for Coral Gables about every year. Njoku is the next highly rated tight end from the Miami area to from the Miami University, following Shockey, Greg Olson, Jimmy Graham, Kevin Everett, and Kellen Winslow II. The former high school receiver and national boys high jump champion only started nine games in his two years on the field with the Hurricanes, but was a popular uh, option in the passing game. He caught 21 passes, 362 yards, and a touchdown as a redshirt sophomore. Um, and He came out of the draft way before people thought he would. In 16, Joku didn't win any all-conference award because the ACC was stacked at the position, but he was a major threat in the red zone. We had 43 catches, 698 yards, and eight touchdowns. And I, I do hope the Browns can get back to that. It's been such a long journey for David in the NFL. He was a great athlete, obviously a 37 and a half vert, a 133 uh, 133 broad jump, which is wild. A nice three cone, a good four, 20 yard shuttle, 21 bench press reps, a four six four. This is what Zerline says as he compares him to Greg Olson. Ascending pass-catching talent with elite athleticism, enough fight in his run blocking to believe he can be lined up anywhere on the field at any time. And Joku should annihilate the competition with monster numbers and speed and explosion, but his play on the field shows he's more than a combine warrior. He's still growing into his body, has to add to his play strength, but his playmaking potential and elite traits make him a first-round pick and a future Pro Bowler. Still waiting for that Pro Bowl level to happen. After the first two years, I think everybody thought that was going to happen. Right. If you go back and look at David's first two years, he was definitely an ascending player, and they're hoping that ascension can happen again. Now, he went 32 catches, 386 yards, and four touchdowns year one. You went uh, up like linearly as you want. 56 catches on uh, for 639 and four touchdowns year two, and then since then we know it's kind of uh, that rookie. Sorry, that 2019 injury season happened where he only played four games. He only started one. 2020 was. You know, Austin Hooper arrival, he only had 213 yards, but he got back to 475 as a 25-year-old. He's only going to play at 26 this year, so a lot to still be decided for David. Brown's thought enough of him to give him another year. Here were the strengths. Great muscular definition with long arms and room for 10 more pounds. He found those 10 more pounds. Another guy, like I mentioned earlier with Miles Garrett, where if you see him up close, different species, man. Elite athlete and seam buster deluxe. I don't know that he's as fast as people think he is. Vertically, but he can run, but he's not like he doesn't have a true breakaway level to his game. Most tight ends don't, but he's just got this very upright running finish where he's not quite a 4 6, 4 5 guy that you think he might be. But he's got enough speed, can stick a foot in the ground and break in either direction at 90 degrees. He runs those stick routes well. I agree with that. Tremendous acceleration out of breaks to separate and widen the window for quarterbacks. Not quite as big a window creator as I hoped, but. His ability to go up and get it is where he makes up for that. Okay, When he catches on the move, the Yak Yards can become an avalanche. and We've seen it. He can do that. Saw in the Chargers game this past year. Saw all in the Bengals game back in 2018. He can do that. If you give him a chance and he gets out in space, he can run. Hand quickness to get a last-second push-off and still get open to secure a catch. Bingo was a 7-foot high jumper in high school, can go up over most everyone he faces. Bingo, I hope they get back to giving him more of those chances. I think Deshaun Watson will. Finds soft spots against zone. I think he does fine with that. Plays outside from the slot and in line. They've given him snaps at X, and he's done fine with it. I think that there's still a level there he could get to. He's willing to compete as a blocker. Very much agree, and has improved very, very much. Can push defensive backs around from the slot. Gets early arm extension into defender and looks to create some turn and shows lateral ability for zone scheme blocking. Yes, all of that very true and has translated well. Not a ton of weaknesses here. Inexperienced at the position, still work in progress. That was a fact. Still getting better now. Needs to add his play strength and handle inline blocking as a pro. He figured that out about year four. One of the worst write-ups I've ever seen for a note here on weakness from Zerline. Don't skip leg days, bro. That's really there if you want to go look it up. I don't think that's ever been a problem for David. Struggled badly to stay in front of Pitt Powerhouse and Juan Price. Okay, don't really have much to say about that. Hands are too high and wide at the point of attack. I do think that that still gives him some issues sometimes, but I think the hand consistency has gotten better. Focus drops were a problem. We all know that that was something David was fighting early. I think he's gotten better. Anything above his head, he tends to struggle with. Had eight drops over his last two seasons for a drop rate of over 11%. Sounds right. That's what he struggled with early. Speed allows him to uncover on downfield routes and hasn't had to learn nuances of setting up defenders with route work. I do think there's room for improvement still, with route nuance, I agree with that. Needs to get head around and find a ball quicker when working over top of a linebacker up a seam. He's gotten better at that. He's gotten better at that. So you can see why David's a pretty good football player in the NFL. He's improved some weaknesses and perpetuated his strengths. Two more. Larry Ogunjobi. Okay, This was a 6.2 prospect grade for the round three pick one in round three Okay, this is what the overview was, a Sheldon Rankin's NFL comparison. Watching Joby play is like watching a more raw version of Rankin's with less efficiency of movement. Like Rankin's, Joby uses leverage, quickness, and strong hands to counter his average size, size and a below average length, will work against him for some teams, but others who covet disruptive defensive tackles who can play in the backfield and generate some pressure will be studying him closely. I think that's very fair. He was a, he was a disruptor in the backfield. He is a son of Nigerian immigrants. This is his write-up back then from when he left Charlotte. He uh, took up football as a sophomore in high school, finished with three years on the all-Greensboro area team, scholarship from Charlotte, had a nice career there. I won't bore you with that since Larry's not with Cleveland anymore. I'm going to figure out where Larry's going to land because of that failed physical. Some of his strengths that I think ended up manifesting, low center of gravity, impressive power, uh, coursing through his hips. Totally agree. Very powerful dude. Strikes with leverage. Able to dislodge blockers with anchor issues. Has speed to chase runners in space. Can set the edge or penetrate upfield. Makes impact tackles on either side of the line. Hands are fast and powerful. Has strong, uh, sorry, strength and balance to fight through and redirect blocks to maintain his journey to the quarterback. Uses powerful right-hand club to bat away blockers' punch. And slide over the top and into the backfield. Pushes the pocket with a bull rush. That's all very true. He's a very good, in his time in Cleveland, very good pass rushing inside guy. But he just, these are the weaknesses I think ended up. Very average build for an interior player. He got better with the build. His body turned in a good direction. He, He worked hard. Had to continue to add weight at Charlotte, but likely needs a few more pounds. Below average, arm length makes it essential for him to get into blocker first. He would get overwhelmed if he could not get into a blocker first. We'll get big boyed occasionally. Agree, big guards with length, able to disrupt his rhythm and alter his plans. Totally agree. That's why Larry would disappear so often. Gets in a hurry when he smells a sack and will overturn or overrun the target at times and would benefit from more disciplined pursuit angles in space. I think that you could argue Larry had a great run for a third round pick here. I very much agree with it, um, and I really would have liked to have seen him here uh, longer. Obviously, had a great season for Cincinnati and parlayed that great season in Cincinnati to another nice con- His first big contract with the with the Bears, but failed the physical, so I don't really know where that's sitting right now. Be interested. Maybe a call could be made there. I'm not sure. Last one of the third round picks. Or early picks, I should say. First three rounds. None other than Deshaun Kaiser. Round two pick 20. Right. 6.3 grade. 6.3 for Zerline is. Eventually be a plus starter, is what he projected for For the young man. 4.83, 40 yard dash. A 30.5 vertical at 107 broad. Zerline was high on him. Kaiser got a chance to start at Notre Dame as a redshirt freshman in 15 when Malik Zaire had a surgery. On a broken ankle in end of the season, the big bodied athletic passer will be given his, uh, will, uh, played well given his lack of experience, completed 63% of his passes, 2,884 yards, 21 touchdowns. Kaiser earned the starting spot in 2016 for Brian Kelly, threw for 29, 25, 26 touchdowns for the four and eight Irish that year, and came out of the draft. NFL comparison Steve McNair. Sean didn't quite get there. The comparisons to Stephen Nair could raise eyebrows, but that is based primarily on size, mobility, and arm strength. The aforementioned traits often land a quarterback in the first round, but Kaiser's second, uh, second half drop in production combined with inconsistent decision-making and accuracy should be a speed bump for teams ready to jump in headfirst on the traits. Kaiser has the ability to become a quality starter, but has to improve his ball placement and field vision. I think that's, uh, that's pretty fair. Let's talk about strengths as kaiser finished with 11 touchdowns and 27 interceptions in his career he did not really see much time after cleveland uh, in green bay he had 3 games that he played in green bay 20 completions on 42 attempts 187 yards sorry that was 11 touchdowns and 24 interceptions as he threw 22 interceptions in cleveland and and uh and two in uh, and two in green bay so Big quarterback with a big arm. Could very much agree. He could sling it. Can make all the throws. To an extent. Has step and crank power to drive throws into the seams. Yes, he made some great seam throws. One against the Chargers in 2017 to Njoku, though, was just lovely. Has the arm talent and willingness to challenge safeties on both intermediate and deep throws. To his detriment. Looks the part of the thick frame withstand NFL punishment. Agreed over-the-top delivery creates tight spirals. Yeah, his form and all that was just fine. Powerful grip, allowing for aggressive pump fakes for uh, the ability to move a defense around. The pump fake thing was a wild detriment. When he's comfortable, he will tie his feet with his eyes and scans the field. I would agree with that. When he got comfortable, he did do that. Adequate drive accuracy. If he feels the completion is imminent, he'll stand in and take a punishing shot. I agree. Strong authoritative runner with the speed to hit a big play with his feet. He never showed that. Never showed that. Two-way threat in the red zone. Never showed that. Posting 18 rushing touchdowns at Notre Dame as proof for that. I did not see that at the NFL level. He ran for, let's see if we can find it. He did run for 419 yards and five touchdowns, so I don't know. Maybe I'm losing my mind. I don't remember him being any serious type of runner, but that's just me. Um, Apparently, I'm pretty clearly forgetting all five of these rushing touchdowns and over 400 yards from, uh, from 2017. He gets stuck on his primary read. These are weaknesses. Okay? He gets stuck on primary read, missing on early openers. Fact. May not have eyes or compact release to spot and hit flashing targets. Agreed. Can be too reliant upon arm strength over mechanics. I didn't, I didn't get those vibes. I thought the mechanics were pretty strong for him for the most part, almost to his detriment. Once open throwing window rather than operating with early anticipation. Definitely. Can improve in leading receivers and and throwing stationary targets open. Agreed. Too hesitant. Pump fake city, man. Gets caught pump fake vortex at times. That was his issue. Did not believe what his eyes saw. Quick to drop his eyes and halt progressions when pocket warms up. Agreed. Inconsistent decision maker. Showed dreadful lapses in judgment that led to interceptions. Too willing to make off-balance heaves. Think about that off-balance heave that was in the Green Bay game. When Green Bay came to Cleveland and started Brett Hunley, and they lost that game on a on a wild, wild throw off balance. He from from uh, Kaiser there. Not to bring back a bad memory. He did get benched in his college career. Had at least one interception in 15 of 23 starts, and will take a sack despite having ample time to read and throw. That is all factual. the The comparison McNair is built on body and arm and all that. It's amazing Kaiser never really got another shot, and I don't think Cleveland did did all too well by him because they thrust him into a starting situation in 17. After that, he lands in Green Bay, and I honestly don't know if anybody has continued to give him a shot. I don't know if Deshaun's a free agent. I don't know if he's still around Green Bay. I have not kept up. Um, let's see. He is a free agent. He has no role in the NFL anymore, so kind of wild that that's the course it took for him but that's how it goes in the nfl man is it is uh it is it's just uh, it's as tough as it comes you get your chance and if you and we're seeing it with baker mayfield right now if your chance does not lead to some other team falling in love with you then you could be out of the nfl or in in a backup role very quickly and then uh, all of a sudden it's over it's over quick over quick we're not going to bore you with any more of the 17 draft because Howard Wilson never played a snap in Cleveland Roderick Johnson never really played in Cleveland Caleb Brantley had a little bit of time in Cleveland he had 20 games but not enough to justify a conversation Zane Gonzalez talk about drafting kickers this year Zane Gonzalez still around the league but uh you know can only discuss so much about kickers and the Matthew Days. so I thought Matthew Day's had a chance Really thought he had a chance. He had a nice burst. Really nice burst, but never came to fruition. He did have 437 kick return yards, though. Liked his game in a kick returner, but that's about all he flashed. Roderick Johnson had 16 starts with Houston in 2019 and 12 starts with Houston. Sorry, 12 games. He played some special teams. He only had six starts in his career. Caleb Brantley ended up going to Washington after his first season in Cleveland. Ends up with four, let's see here, how many tackles? 19 tackles in his career after a strong start with Cleveland with two sacks. But they cut him, goes to Washington for a couple years, and has one total tackle in two years, and he is out of the NFL. So bottom of that 17 draft, pretty ugly. But I wanted to share, like the goal here is to go back and revisit and look where guys got better and worse. So it'll get more fun with 18, 19, and 20, because these are, and even 21, because these are guys that you know, Better. So, you know, going back to Deshaun Kaiser and some of those guys who are long gone, you might not all, be all too interested in, but I think it's fun to revisit the scouting reports and talk about why they failed or why they succeeded as a means to discussion uh, around, you know, th- this time of year, we're all leading up into thinking the draft prospects are so good. they're Here's why they're going to succeed, why they're going to succeed, why they're going to succeed. What about why they fail? Why? What about this guy before failed? You know, if you're looking at Logan Hall, why would he fail? He's a tweener athlete, can never really find a position, doesn't have a niche, right? I think that's fair to have those discussions. We're going to talk a lot about players that we have seen Cleveland draft, why they failed, and I think it's a fun exercise. Hopefully you're into it. Let me know. Give me some feedback one way or the other, but I'm going to go through... The rest of this week, looking at the rest of the drafts on top of any other news that comes up. We're going to look at the rest of those drafts and try to give you insights on why those guys either did well, didn't do well, failed, whatever, as a means to look back. We're doing some more of that at the OBR this week because we have two fun weeks, two and a half fun weeks of draft discussion and draft content before we get to actual draft season, which will be here And like I said, now 17 days, 16 days if you're listening to this on Tuesday. 16 days, and that uh, that draft will be here. So I want to have as much discussion around draft previous and draft future as we can. Thanks for checking out today's episode, guys. Appreciate your time, support, and all of the love you give to this podcast every single day as I try to put together as many episodes as I can for you. We're over 500 episodes, like 505 now. I've had a ton of downloads this year already, and I look forward to bringing you great content and coverage from an X&O's perspective as often as possible for your Cleveland Browns. Appreciate you all. Have a great Tuesday and go Browns.
1: This is the story of the one.